There are some needs that we just never outgrow. And we see four of them in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 22. So let's look at that passage now together. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus, or left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greek Chrysa, uh, Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you as always for the high privilege of being able to assemble in your presence in the name of Jesus and in fellowship with one another. We come together as one people, having been summoned by you, the Most High, who has something to say to us. So we open the word today with the expectation you're going to speak to us through it. We believe it is your word and that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce even to the uh, thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord, would you get there in us this morning? We ask that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. You know, of course, the, the Apostle Paul is writing here to Timothy. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this is his last known letter. He's writing probably, he's, he's writing certainly from prison, from a Roman prison. It is probably his second Roman imprisonment. Um, and there are sort of little pieces we put together of the history as we read through the scriptures. And probably he was imprisoned one time, released, and then has been imprisoned a second time. Paul knows he's approaching his death and doesn't seem to expect to be released. If you were to glance back at verses six and seven, you see him say, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. So he knows 
the candles burning out here. When he, when he was in prison before he wrote to Philemon, he said, prepare a room for me because I hope to come visit you. Now, at this point, he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm about to the end. I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. And so the conclusion of this letter could seem kind of unremarkable in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you heard as we read there, there's kind of a smattering of issues he mentions that seem sort of unrelated. He, he mentions a variety of people there, uh, some of whom we've never heard of before and that sort of thing. And, and in many ways, it could just seem fairly insignificant in the grand scheme of Paul's writings. But, but in this context of being his last letter on the eve of his death, it actually gives us a window into his heart and mind. And we get a glimpse of some of the spiritual needs that Paul recognizes he still has. And so before we even unpack what those are, let's appreciate this fact. If, if Paul, if a man at his age, with his experience and of his level of spiritual maturity, if there were needs that he had that he didn't outgrow, then surely you and I don't either. So let's look now, four spiritual needs that we never outgrow, and they are fellowship, forgiveness, service, and study. Let's look first of all at fellowship. Look at verse 9, where he says to Timothy as he begins this conclusion, do your best to come to me soon. A few verses later, he offers some practical reasons as to why he he might want Timothy to come to him. He's asking him to bring some personal items and that kind of thing. But it's also clear that Paul desires the companionship or the fellowship with Timothy. He, he points out that Demas had deserted him out of love for this world. Uh, Crescens and Titus have, have left for other reasons. And Luke is the only longtime ministry companion that is still left. So he asked Timothy to come to him. We know that Paul had a special relationship with Timothy. In the opening of his letters, both his first letter to Timothy and the second one, he calls him his child in the faith. He knows his grandmother and his mother personally. And so he knows the spiritual heritage that Timothy comes from. They've been co-laborers for a long time. From nearly the beginning of his second missionary journey, Timothy joined that team and has been with him for all the years in between. And Timothy is a dependable go-to guy for Paul. So much so, in fact, so dependable and such a go-to guy. That here's what Paul says about Timothy to the Philippians. In Philippians 2, verses 19 and 20, he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says to the Philippians, I hope to send Timothy to you, for I have no one else like him. That's how special a guy Timothy was to Paul. That's the unique place he has in Paul's heart. So Paul says, do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. And, and one of the things this reveals about Paul and reminds us about us is that we need fellowship with other believers. We need connection. We need relationship. Um, the sermon a few years ago, a few, few years ago, it was a few weeks ago, actually, 
Um, if there's any psychologists in the room that may, that may say something about me, I'm not sure, but uh, it was really just a few weeks ago. But, but in, from uh, First Peter reminded us that uh, we are one people and that, that the church has a corporate nature to it. In Acts 2.42, it says about the early church, they devoted themselves to fellowship. It was one of the things they devoted themselves to was fellowship with one another. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You all, we all are the body. Individually, you are members of the body. There's no such thing as, an, as individual bodies of Christ. We're individually members of one body. We are joined together and we need each other. We never retire from Christian fellowship. We never reach the age where it's just time to unplug, as it were, from, other, from the lives of other believers. And, and also, we don't just connect to one another wirelessly, so to speak. You know, in the 21st century, we, we know this is, this is kind of normal life, right? It's easy to live rather independently, just sort of floating around, connecting whenever, wherever, and with whomever necessary to sort of do my own thing. Um, the workplace has even been redesigned around this reality such that, you know, there probably for, for almost everybody here, either you or somebody you know, never has to go into an office to work, right? They just connect with cell phone and internet, and so they can live anywhere they want to live. I know from, uh, from working at the school, there were a number of people who moved into the area just because they had been on vacation here and they liked the area and they still worked in Indiana or wherever it was. They just decided they would live in Wilmington. That's just more and more the reality of life we live. You know, there, there are a few people who could even just sell the house, load the family up in an RV and, and or two on the road. I've actually known a family that did that very thing. It's that easy to live remotely and to just sort of connect whenever and wherever you have need in order to do your own thing. And you know what? It, th those are wonderful gifts. What a, what a great time period to live in, huh? I mean, to have that sort of freedom, those kind of opportunities. But the side effect is it really does impact the way we think about life in a number of other ways, including church life. And it's easy for a family just to sort of connect wirelessly with, with the church, uh, literally and figuratively, by the way, because, because on one hand, you can, quote, do church online, right? Where just wherever you're going or wherever you are, you can sort of uh, just connect and tie in. In fact, some people can just sort of piece it together and I'll go online, I'll listen to some worship, worship music over here, and I'll listen to a sermon from somebody else and just sort of connect wirelessly. Uh, figuratively, though, we can also view the church that way where we just get as connected as often as we need to in order to get what we need out of it, Right? And what's missing in that whole picture is any sense that we give something to it as well. Like completely missing the fact 
that it's not only about what we get, but also what we give, what we contribute. Uh, as it was in the case of that Sunday school class where I had those dozen guys, I was like, hey guys, we need you here. Uh, for the sake of the one who shows up as the visitor, we need you. Uh, not just what you're gonna get from the class, but where you're, what you're gonna give to it. But we need real mutual life on life connection with other people. It's an essential quality of the church. You fellowship, community, connection, commitment to each other, covenant with each other. God means for us to be joined, joined together. You know, there's a word for, for body parts that are not joined to the body. It's called dismemberment. You know, there's... There's another word, uh, it's creepy. Uh, that's, it's just that, this horror movie stuff, right? Body parts that aren't connected. Don't become a church dismember. You know, don't become a church dismember. Get joined to, connected with other believers, whether that's here or elsewhere, wherever. Um, and whatever the process is for the church, that's really not the point, how formal or informal. The point is be joined to one another, be committed be a member of the body in a local church. You know, I, I believe there, are, there may be some even sitting here this morning, maybe tuned in online or will see or hear this later, who were here at once, once upon a time, who have left here and have sort of just been living, living around the periphery of the church or kind of hovering over for a little while. And, and I believe it's time for some to come home, to get joined or rejoined to the body. We need each other. The church needs you and you need the church. And for some people, the thing holding you back though, may be the second spiritual need that we never outgrow. And that is forgiveness then in order to restore fellowship, there may be some forgiveness that needs to happen. But let's look in verse 11. And there Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you. If you grew up around church, you probably recognize Mark as the author of the second gospel. We call it the gospel according to Mark, right? The second book of the New Testament. You may be less familiar with another part of his background. Some of you are, and maybe others not. But by the time the second letter to Timothy was written, Paul had been serving for some time with Paul in ministry. He's mentioned as a co-laborer in Colossians and in Philemon. But that had not always been Mark's status. Back in Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas went out on their first missionary journey, and we don't have time to turn there today because it's actually pretty stretched out over a a few chapters, but you can, you can go back and read actually 13 through 15 and see this unfold. But when Paul and Barnabas went out on the first missionary journey, they took John, who was also called Mark. That's how he's referred to there in the book of Acts. They took him to assist, it says. And after the first leg of the journey, when they got ready to sail to the next destination, Mark left and went back home. And there's no explanation as to why there. But meanwhile, it was a very difficult trip, especially for Paul, 
who was stoned in Lystra and dragged out to the edge of the city and left for dead. And so sometime later, when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to depart on their second missionary journey at the end of Acts 15, Barnabas wanted to take Mark with him. And Paul said, no. Acts 15.38 says, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. And, th- and that seems to suggest that whatever, Paul, whatever Mark's reasons were for withdrawing and going home, Paul thought that disqualified him from further service with them. Now, again, one of the interesting things about that passage just, just by itself in its own study is it, it, it doesn't ever say anybody was wrong in this. Because it's kind of easy on one hand to think, oh, that's kind of harsh of Paul. You know, that's kind of unforgiving, isn't it? But, but on the other hand, we can appreciate the fact that if you put a team together, a crew together to go do a particular job and somebody bails on you, other people have to pick up the slack. You know, if you took a, a film crew and you were doing a documentary film uh, somewhere on the, on the other side of the world, you need every member of that crew. They've got a particular job. And if somebody gets hurt or has to leave, it, it falls on everybody else to sort of fill in the gaps. And that's kind of the, the, the sort of thing that happened there with Paul and Mark. But either way, uh, Acts 15 goes on to say that a sharp disagreement arose between them such that Barnabas took Mark and went one way and Paul and Silas went another way. One mission team became two mission teams. And by the grace of God, the gospel um, proclamation around the world was multiplied. But the beautiful thing about it is somewhere along the way, obviously they were reconciled and had been doing ministry together so that by the time Paul wrote Second Timothy, he made this special request that Timothy bring Mark with him. And not just because, you know, Mark's, Mark's a sweet guy and I'd like to spend some time with him. What does it say? He is very useful to me in ministry. The very thing that had disqualified him before, the thing that had caused the strife and the separation before now is the reason why Paul wants Mark with him. You know, that's a real sign you've forgiven, right? When you're, no, when you're not only just tolerating or you can quit gossiping about the person, <laughs> but when you really want well, for that person. You want uh, their companionship and, and even their partnership and participation with you in a way like that. Paul had forgiven Mark so he could move on and the relationship could move on and the work of ministry could move on. So the question is, have you had fellow believers who have hurt you, who have mistreated you, who have misled you, Is there offense or pain that you're holding on to that is holding you back and maybe even hindering your relationship with God and fruitfulness in spiritual life? You have that kind of situation that you're sitting on right now or that's sitting on you. Maybe you've been uh, hurt to the point that you're sidelined altogether. You know, just gave up on church people. You know, church people can be 
Well, just people, can't they? And be like all other people. Remember a story one time, uh, Dr. Paige Patterson, who was the president at Southeastern Seminary when I first went there, had been a pastor in his earlier years. And he talked about going, there was a reputation, a woman that lived on the street of the church. She uh, didn't particularly like visitors from their church. He went knocking on her door one day. She came to the door and uh, he told her, told her he was the pastor of that church. And she said, I don't like Baptists. He said, well, how do you think I feel? I have to spend all my time with them. <laughs> now, are you going to make me stand on your front porch or are you going to invite me in for a cup of coffee? And she actually uh, invited him in and by God's grace came to know Jesus that day. But the point is she knew and he knew, you know, church people can be difficult sometimes. It can be hard to get along. And maybe that's the case for you. There may be somebody you really, you really need to forgive that person. And you might, you might say, well, you don't know my situation or else you wouldn't be saying that. And, and you're probably right about that part. And the last thing I want to do is minimize your pain. But, but here's the thing. As C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. <laughs> you know, to one degree or another, um, everyone finds their own situation harder to forgive than somebody else's situation. Because it's personal. It costs you something to forgive your situation, it doesn't cost you anything to tell somebody else to forgive in their situation. You may have heard the quote that says, uh, unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping the other person will get sick. Unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping the other person will get sick. It actually almost always hurts you more than it does the other person. You know, sometimes they've moved on. They're, they are oblivious to the fact that you're still wounded by that thing. They, don't, they didn't even know there was a thing. And you're still upset about it sometime later. And it's you that is being eaten alive by the poison of that unforgiveness. And on the other hand, forgiveness can literally improve our health. I read an online article at uh, Johns Hopkins website and it said, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep and reducing pain, blood pressure and levels of anxiety, depression and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connections as you age. There's more reason, the longer you've held on to that, there's more reason that today should be the day that you name it, that you lay it before Jesus and just have it slain by the power of his grace. Put to death that thing that is trying to put you to death. It's a need that we never outgrow. And today may be the, need, the day you embrace that again. Well, so... We never outgrow the need for fellowship or forgiveness. And third, we never outgrow the need for service. Notice Paul's request uh, to bring Mark, as we already uh, observed, because he is very useful for ministry. Not only does that say something about the relationship between Paul and Mark, 
But it also says that in spite of the fact Paul is in prison, facing almost certain death, he still has his mind on ministry. If anyone could justify retiring, it would be Paul. I mean, just the hardships alone, just the hardships alone would have justified him hanging up his hat and saying, I'm done. And nobody would have blamed him. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, about his ministry hardships. Let's see if you or I want to compare our list to his, okay? He says he has had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I'd, I'd stay off of ships after once, I believe, but <laughs> three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So what you got on your list? I mean, you want to compare? You know, what, what's on your list that you think qualifies you or justifies your disengagement from ministry? The answer, nothing. Nothing, nothing uh, exempts us from serving the one who bought us with his own blood. And it's the saints who are to be equipped for the work of ministry, not the staff. Not just the um, elders or leaders or what have it. The saints are to be equipped for the work of ministry, according to Ephesians 4. And we've been retooling some things internally to transition more ministry into the hands of volunteers. We've mentioned a little bit about that and more is coming. But we're also going to gear up to move ministry beyond the walls of the church. We've been talking about that too, but it's coming. And in fact... In January, uh, once we've gotten past the holiday season, I'll begin a sermon series called something like The Church Beyond, Beyond Sunday, Beyond the Walls, Beyond the Borders. But we'll look at how the early church modeled that mindset in the book of Acts. And, and let's, let's note parenthetically, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, not the beliefs of the apostles, not the ideas of the apostles, not the plans of the apostles, not even the worship services of the apostles, but the acts of the apostles. They got busy and they went out and did. And even though it's known as the acts of the apostles, it's acts of other people too. It wasn't only the apostles doing great things in the early church. But we're going to become a church that gives itself by going and doing, not just one that gives its money so others can go and do. Now, we'll continue to do that too, uh, by the way, because there are people on the international mission field in particular who need us to be people who give our money and resources so that they can go and do. But at a local level, we need to get engaged in the work of ministry one by one. So if you think you've retired, <laughs> 
from Christian service. We're going to be asking you to come out of retirement. You, you can have a comeback like Michael Jordan did, maybe. How many championships did he win after he came out of retirement? I don't know. That can be your story. If you've sort of taken a break from service in order to spend time on other priorities, we may ask you to revisit your priorities. Because we never outgrow our need to serve. Paul didn't. We didn't. And the opportunity is coming soon to a theater near you. So stay tuned. Well, finally, we never outgrow our need for study. And I'll be, by comparison, brief on this one. Um, But look at verse 13. It says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. We can't be certain about what these books were, but there's a strong likelihood that the parchments were portions of the Old Testament. There's discussion and debate about this, and it doesn't say any more than what we just read. But the highest likelihood is that he's asking for portions of the Old Testament, among other things. Here's a man who is writing what would become the 13th out of 27 books of the New Testament, nearly half that Paul wrote himself. Who knows how much of the Old Testament he could quote. He's asking for copies of the scriptures, presumably to continue to do study. A man at the end of his ministry, a man in prison, a man approaching his death and says, bring me the parchments. He had worked so tirelessly for so long, it would have been just fine to say, Paul, it's okay to just throttle back a little bit. How about if I bring you some crossword puzzles? <laughs> yeah, right? I'll bring, I'll bring your cloak to keep you warm for the winter. I'll bring you some crossword puzzles, crochet needle with some yarn, and uh, just relax. You know, just relax. And I'm joking, of course, but, you know, he would have been justified in that. Nobody would, have, nobody would have criticized him for that if he wanted to take that posture. But he had no intention of letting up, including in his study of God's word. And I won't belabor this point too much because uh, the sermon a couple weeks ago was drawn from Paul's charge just a few verses um, above this, where he charged Timothy concerning the priority that the Bible should have in his ministry. And you'll recall, he said that all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so preach the word. Preach the word. Even when people will not put up with sound teaching, even when they want to turn aside from the truth and wander off into myths, preach the word anyway. Because Paul knew that it was the word of God that had the power to make men wise to salvation. It was the word of God that had the power to bring about transformation. It was the word of God that had power to fuel Timothy's proclamation. So he told that to Timothy and he knows it's still true for himself. So he says, bring me the parchments. He knows if he's gonna continue to walk in fellowship with other believers, if he's gonna continue to show forgiveness to people who wrong him, because it's not only Mark here, Demas who deserted him, other people who didn't come at his first trial, 
the wrongs that he suffered. There's still people around to forgive. And if he's going to still keep fruitful ministry going, even after his death, he knows he will need to continue to study the scriptures. It's a need he never outgrew and neither will you and I. So the question as we conclude then is where do you see yourself in this passage? Where do you see yourself of of the needs to be genuinely connected in fellowship with other believers? Plugged in, not connected wirelessly, uh, not just when and where it's convenient to get from it what you need, but connected in a way where there's mutual giving and exchange of life going on between you. Who is there maybe in your life that you need to forgive? You've been holding on to something and there's bitterness that's, it's the poison that you're drinking that's eating away at you. And maybe you've been living around the periphery um, and there's a need for you to gear up and engage in the work of ministry. Wherever you see yourself there, as we close out today, we want to ask the Lord to do something in us. Because from the moment of conversion, we are bond servants of Jesus Christ and we live as he commands until the moment we enter his presence in eternity. There's no such thing as retirement, no such thing as recreational participation in the kingdom. We're all in all the time, all the way to the end. Amen? Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we thank you for your great and indescribable grace that has made us who we are in you. You, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, when we were hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, you made us alive. You died for us to reconcile us to yourself. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the privilege we have of being part of your body, that individually we are members of a body, that we get life from the body, but also we contribute something invaluable to the body. So Lord, wherever we find ourselves in this passage of scripture needing to renew or deepen fellowship, needing to forgive, needing to engage in ministry or needing to further our own study of the scripture. Lord, would you reveal that to us this morning and then we just lay it before you. We cast it over onto you. Pray, Lord, that you would dispose of it and dispense. If we have uh, bitterness or or, uh, unforgiveness we're harboring in our hearts or any other hindrance Uh, that we have to engaging the way we need to engage and the way Paul himself engaged right up to the end. Lord, would you work that in us so that we would work it out to your glory and for the good of your people. In Christ's name, amen.